Once again, good morning, brethren. So glad to be with you. We're going to be in Genesis 39, if you'll open your Bibles there. Genesis 39 is where we'll continue our story and study of the life of Joseph. If you're visiting here today, like I am this week, thank you so much for being here. It has been a wonderful morning of worship with you. Uh, You all sing with such enthusiasm. Brothers, those of you who have led in prayer and thoughts and scripture reading and reflection around the table, it has been a wonderful, wonderful morning to be with you. And hopefully if you are visiting and this is your first time here, you've gotten a good taste of the brethren and the family that worships here. And I'm certain if you are looking for a church home, this would be a wonderful place for you to consider and to talk to the members more about. I can say a little bit more now that I've got all the time in the world from which I was told. <clears throat> I'm really glad to be with you. To your shepherds, thank you so much for the kind invitation to, to be with you. I I'd certainly consider it an honor and a joy uh, to be here. Uh, many of you I have known from, from time past in different places. In fact, we've been talking and there's several here that I, we know people in common. And that's just... The Lord's family that is large and scatters all over, and it's a blessing to get to know you and spend time with you. I've known the Johnsons for a long time, and I consider them family, and I'm so glad to see them and spend this week with them and all of their family who is here. Uh, Sister Judy Chandler and her beautiful family are here, and Sister Judy came from Texas, and so she's a Texan at heart, and, but I, I love seeing her and being with her and miss her greatly, and it's good to be with her. And I brought some Texans with me. I don't know if you saw them, but uh, Sister Desiree Watts and her mother Peggy and her sister Debbie are here. And uh, if you didn't get to meet them, they're here. Uh, I guess they're making sure I'm preaching the gospel today. Uh, here in the <laughs> I'm glad they're here. They mean a lot to me. They're precious and they, they make me better. And I'm thankful that they are here. My brother Sean and I go back a long way and uh, I'm better because of Sean. Uh, he, he is a preacher's preacher and you all know that. He and GT, I just... Their enthusiasm for the Lord is contagious, and I love the way that he loves the Word. They both do, and they love you, and so I'm thankful to spend this week with them and uh, to get to spend some time. I'm thankful for you, brother, and what you do. I'm thankful for all of you. Uh, I boasted to my wife leaving that it doesn't matter how late I stay up on Saturday because we have an extra hour to sleep in. That did not happen. <laughs> Sleepy or not, we've come to do some good things today. I, I heard a story, we're going to get to our study, I heard a story about a, a teacher, and his class would always fall asleep. He'd go in there, and students all the time were falling asleep during his study, and so he started one class one time. Coming in, he put his book down, he put his tennis ball right in front of him, and he started teaching. And sure enough, a student fell asleep, and so he picked up that tennis ball, and he pinged him on the head, and that student woke up, and he can, kept on teaching. Well, the next day he showed up in the class and he put his book down and he put a baseball down and no one fell asleep the rest of the semester. I don't have any baseballs with me, <laughs> but you all are fine. We're going to make it because we've, we've come to do good things. And that's why we're here. Uh, we're here for one another, to encourage one another, but we're here for the Lord. We're here because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we're going to honor our God, and we're going to spend time in this word, and we're going to grow closer together with him. But just thank you so much for letting me spend this week with you. We're going to continue picking up with our young man, Joseph, continuing the story of where we left him off at our 9 a.m. hour. Because where we left him was on the back of some camels headed on his way to Egypt, far from home, far from safety, far from everything he knew, which was secure and 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 safe and and compassionate and caring. Joseph was taken away from everything. And in chapter 39, he lands in verse 1. 
in Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. I have to imagine in Joseph's eyes, how could things really get much worse at this point? Taken far from home, his brothers mistreated him, now he's bought as a slave. But a verse and really a phrase that will echo through the story of Joseph in verse 2 where it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Let's just capture that. If you need an underliner or a circler or something to notice, just remember all through the story of Joseph, the Lord's with him. And so the Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I have to imagine how different that would be. It's not like traveling from, from Texas to Arizona and things are different, which it was. Seeing mountains was very different from Dallas, Texas. But this is a culture shock. You're talking about a people from a different foreign land with foreign gods and a different language and a distant custom. And not only you're not visiting, you're a slave in a house. And so everything about his life is turned upside down. But God is with him. And so God works through the working of Joseph. And this man notices God's hand on Joseph. And Joseph is quickly elevated to a place of position in Potiphar's house. In fact, it says in verse 4 that Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about from that time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in his house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern it himself with anything except the food that he ate. And you pause. It's important to pause there. At least for a moment, it seems like things are getting good. Things are turning around. He's not home. He's not back where he should be. But you know, he's getting blessings. His master is seeing good in him. He's elevated to a higher position. It seems like treatment is going well. And that's when you read a story, when things start to turn around and get better, you know something's happening. Something's going to take place. And the Holy Spirit reveals it this way. There's always the but in the story, and here it is. It's in, the, it's in the conjunction now. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and all that he has is put in charge. Uh, he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has not withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day by day, he did not listen to her to lie with her or to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garments in her hand and fled and went outside. When she had saw that he left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he brought a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master came home, or his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Joseph was not alone in his journey to Egypt. He didn't go to Egypt by himself. God was with him. 
But Satan was with him too. Everywhere we go, in every place and in every circumstance, the Lord is there and the Lord is good. But there is an evil worker who from the very beginning has made it his aim and ambition, as Peter describes him, to seek, to claim, to devour every soul. The one that we are fighting against today is the one that Joseph knew so well. And, and I, I want at least for us to appreciate a little bit of what the Spirit is doing for us right now. There's a lot about the story of Joseph we don't have. There's a lot of the commentary about what happened on that journey to Egypt, about the buying in the first couple nights in Potiphar's house. We don't have that detail, but God wanted us to know this story. God wanted us to have this specific situation because there is something so pertinent, so real and relevant, and yet so powerful about what happens here. And so we need to capture this. We need to slow down and capture this moment in the life of Joseph because if we can, there's something victorious that God through Joseph does, and we need to appreciate that. So let's at least start with the working of Satan and see how he was at work in the life of this young man to get him to turn from the Lord and from his convictions of faith. Just notice the setup that Satan uses against this young man here. Let's start with the fact that he is far from home in verse 6. Mom's not there. Dad's not there. In fact, no one knows him there. It's kind of that old montage. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Egypt stays in Egypt. No one is there. Which means, in one sense, there's no one there to say, Hey, hey, Joseph, we, we don't do that as God's people. Hey, hey, Joseph, remember who you are. That was not present. But neither was there any accountability. I can do what I want to do. I can be who I want to be. And no one will know. And then there's the fact that he's, verse 6, young and handsome. Young, revealing to us that there are some temptations that stay with us all of our life, but they're certainly prevalent when we're young. Do you remember 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee youthful lust. There are some things that are very strong in the young seasons of our life, and he's a young man. Let's not make him out to be a spiritual superhero. He was a young man with desires and temptations. And so he is young. And he is thrust into a situation of a sexual sin. But then the Holy Spirit tells us something he doesn't say very often. Do you notice there's a lot of descriptions of people we don't know how they looked? How did Abraham look? How did Moses look? Was he Charleston Heston? Is that, is that Moses? How, does, how did he look? Do you notice it says about Joseph? Imagine if the scene had said he was young and he had a nice personality. You know what that means, doesn't it? <laughs> he fell down the ugly tree in every limb along the way. Right? We wouldn't have this story. Right? He's young, but he's handsome. Do you realize that sometimes Satan uses our blessings against us? And so we have wealth, and instead of taking away our wealth, let's give them more wealth to distract them from what matters the most. Instead of taking away their job, let's promote them so high that they'll get so full of themselves, they won't have any room in their heart for God. Let's make them more beautiful, more handsome than anyone around them because attraction attracts the wrong attention sometimes. And so here is Satan using the blessings of God against Joseph. He's young, he's handsome, he's far from home, and someone's asking not just asking, someone is pursuing. You imagine as a young man the appeal of someone who comes to you and says, hey, you're good looking. 
In fact, you're really good looking. You're, you're, you're handsome. We could have a lot of fun together. And as a young person, how immensely difficult it would be in that moment to reject the offer. And then you put yourself in Joseph's sandals. Because here's a young man, and this is not just any woman. This is the master's wife. And in her hands is power. And her, in her hands is influence. Perhaps she could be someone, a key to a different life. And so here's someone who is asking, and he says, no. And that would be enough, isn't it? She comes and she offers and he says, we're, we're not going to do this. Case closed. That was hard. It was really hard, but he did the right thing. But did you notice in our context, sometimes we forget this. This wasn't a one-time offense because it says that she came after him day by day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this temptation every single day? The men are out of the house, likely by her doing, by her construction. And every single day she's asking, every day she's leading, every day she's trying more and more to get this young man. Do you see what Satan did to get Joseph? Do you see the scene that he set up and the situation which he concocted in order to get this young man? Do you see what that tells us, brethren? He knows us. Satan knows us. He knows how to get at us. He knows where we're weak. He knows our vulnerabilities. And he knows how to be successful in winning over the people of God to get them to shrink from their convictions or to walk away from their morality. Paul would say it this way. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil, notice, an opportunity don't give Satan a blank check because he will write it for all it's worth. Be careful. At the right moment, Satan strikes and he strikes hard. It kind of looks like this. You got a marriage and it's on the rocks. Maybe we've not been talking as we should. Maybe things aren't really good at home as they ought to be. And in that moment, when things are tense between me and my mate, here comes someone introduced to my life who listens to me, who respects me. In fact, who praises me when my mate hasn't done that in a long time. Here is someone who is offering everything I'm looking for in my mates right in front of me. Or for a young person who moves into a town and they have no friends and no one really knows them and it's hard to make friends and Satan to bring in in that right moment the wrong influences, the friends who would encourage them to walk every path but the path of God. Satan is crafty and deceitful. And he's good at what he does. But let's appreciate this. No matter how hard things got for Joseph, he never allowed bad circumstances to justify wrong choices. Can we get that? He never allowed bad circumstances to justify wrong choices. And we need a reminder of that. That even if my brethren have been rude to me, or they've not been kind to me, it's never okay to gossip or to talk about someone behind their back. That maybe my maid and I have not been what we ought to be towards one another. Maybe we're not meeting one another's needs or talking with one another, but it's never okay to cheat on my convictions or to break my promise or my vow to my mate. And maybe I don't have a lot of friends, and they are asking. Maybe there's people, even the young people at church, and I just don't feel like I fit in. But it's never okay. It's never okay to give in to things like vaping or drinking in order to make certain friends and popularity. Satan's going to provide it. But Joseph didn't say, you know, it's really bad. Might as well. Where's God? Do you realize that there are a lot of people God revealed through the word of God who lost this battle? But Joseph didn't. 
King David lost this battle. Sodlin lost it countless times. But here's a young man who won. And God shows us why. God shows us why it is that Joseph was able to overcome this temptation and to win the battle. And not just win it once, but to win it continually. He reveals what was on his mind. We see in verse 8 that first and foremost, he was thinking about his God. Again, in verse 8, he says, Behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. In verse 9, there's no one greater in this house than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? First and foremost, what is on his mind is his God. If I do this, think about what this would do to my God. Imagine what pain, what harm, what difficulty, what strain this would put between my God and me. Could we get there? Can you imagine living day by day with this in our mind? Maybe it kind of sounds like this, Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Today and everything I do, everywhere I go, I'm going to do it all in Jesus' name. And I'm going to do the things that please him. Or maybe another way of looking at it is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. That whether I eat or I drink or whatever I do, do it all to the glory of God. Can you imagine? I wake up and the first thing in my mind is today and everything I do and everywhere I go, I just want to bring glory to God. And so there was a really long line at Starbucks this morning at 8 a.m. And I'm going to bring glory to God. And my boss has a lot of demands. He's been really hard down my neck. But I'm going to bring glory to God. Things are not really going well with the car. The, the house is leaking. The kids are... Today, and everything that I think and in everything that I say, I'm going to bring honor and glory to God. It wasn't the last thing on his mind. It was the first thing on his mind. How could I do this knowing what it would do to my God? I'm not going to do a thing this day, good brethren. Not in light of that gift. Not a lot of Calvary. That would bring honor or shame. That would bring disgrace to my God. No, I'm going to bring honor and glory and praise to him. So he was thinking about his God. You also see in his confession here that, that he was thinking about his neighbor. How could I do this thing to my neighbor? Because you are his wife, he says in verse 9. You don't belong to me. You belong to him. Not only can I not do this to God, I can't do this to it's not just my master, right? I can't do it because he commands me not to. This is my neighbor and you are his wife and I can't do this to him. Out of a love for my neighbor, I'm not going to do this to him. Romans 13 and verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. And we need to remember that. Get that in our minds. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, which means we do not pressure our neighbor into sin, but it also means we don't partner with our neighbor in sin. And we need to get that more often than we do. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, which means if a friend says, hey, let me see the homework because I didn't get the answers done. So the teacher's coming in real quick. Let me see it so I can write it down. That's not a friend. Love doesn't pressure another into sin. We're all going to the bar after work. Let's all go together. We're going to go drink and have some drinks. That's not a friend. Love doesn't pressure a person into sin. We really, parents, grandparents, we really need to make sure we're teaching our young people about this. When they go on their dates and our children say, we have boundaries and this is where it is and it's drawn. The line is here. And their date says, yeah, but we're so in love. We're so in love. And if you really loved me, then we would just forget about these boundaries and we would just go all the way. That's not love, that's lust. Love doesn't pressure a person into sin. Love doesn't partner with a person in sin. And Joseph's mind here is about his neighbor. 
How could I do this against my neighbor? You, you are his wife. How could I do this to him? And then appreciate the fact that he says he was thinking about his moral values because he doesn't say, this isn't just a good idea. It's not just a bad thing. He calls this a great evil. Did you notice that description there, a great evil? As dysfunctional as Joseph's house was, at least he had written on his heart that it was a great evil, an immense wrong before the eyes of his creator to sleep with another man's wife. Moms and dads, if we ever wonder, what, what, what good is all this Bible reading and home devos and studies? At the moment he needed it the most, Joseph could pull out of, a, of his heart a truth which saved him from great danger. Because in that moment, that's what he relied on. I have been taught and I know that this is a great evil and I'm not going a step farther. That's what we got to get in our kids' hearts. I want you to know the word of God because one day they are going to need to pull it out of that heart, that treasure which we have given to them, and to use it and to wield it for defense. This is a great evil. I'm not going any further. And he was thinking about his purity in verse 12 because when she grabbed for his coat, he literally ran out the door. He wasn't going to stay and argue. He wasn't going to wrestle back for his coat. He got out of there. And that's the language we find in the New Testament. Sometimes we get in our minds, you know, I am strong. I, I know what's right from wrong. And so I can get really close to the line and really close to danger. But I know the difference and I can stand up and I can choose what is right. That, that's not what God says is our response to sin, especially this sin of immorality and sexual sin. You see, 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul says, flee youthful lust. He doesn't say, get as close as you can and hold your ground. He says, go the opposite direction. Do you notice that in the screen? You see the two directions? On this one, flee from youthful lust. Well, like how, how far, right? Like how far is, is far enough? Can we get close? Can we skirt the line? Can we flirt a little? Flee from youthful lust and what? And pursue. Pursue righteousness and, and faith and love and peace. It's not about keeping as close to sin as possible without going the, over the line. It's about a life that is pursuing the things of God. Flee. Pursue. She grabs. He runs. And Joseph himself as a young man made the decision. Joseph himself as a young man won the battle. And I want you to see that again. Can you see it in verse 10? What the Holy Spirit shows us? Get your eyes on verse 10 and let's get in the commentary. Verse 10 of Genesis 39 says this. It is possible to win the battle over sin and temptation every single day. Oh, we can't do that. There's no way. There's no way. Everyone sins. Everyone stumbles. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But let's at least just see it here that he won this battle and he won it every single day. The, the, the whole context comes down to this. The whole crux of his ability to overcome this great evil and this hard temptation comes down to six words in this context. That's really what makes the story. Six words. Lie with me. But he refused. She offered. He rejected. She reached. He ran. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to mull it over. She said it, he responded, lie with me, he refused. Do you see the principle that's underneath all of this that we're considering this morning? It's self-control, the ability to have complete dominance, 
to surrender and submit every passion, every decision, every thought to a greater will. That was Joseph, self-control. There was a time centuries ago, centuries and centuries ago, that if you had an ancient city that was well fortified, you would know it, it, it was well fortified because it had those massive walls. Remember the story of Nehemiah and how the walls were broken and he had to go back and build it up? Or Jericho and how they had to march around those walls? There was a time. You all have mountains out here. That's kind of your fortification. But in ancient times, you had these massive walls and they would protect the city. I know it's kind of lost on us because we don't have walls today. So I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine after lunch and you all go home, all of your doors are gone. There's not a door on your house anymore. Your front door's gone, and your garage door's gone, and then that door inside your garage to get into your house is gone. Every door is off the hinges and gone. How are you sleeping tonight? Staying in a motel. <laughs> We're not saying no. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to live in a house without any doors? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Or in 2022, like a house without doors, like a place with no protection. No walls, no layer of defense. A person without self-control has no defense over their life, meaning that what matters the most, their heart, is left open and vulnerable to the great dangers that threaten therein. What does a lack of self-control look like? If you were to look at some fruits, how would you see, how would you describe or illustrate the lack of self-control in someone's life? You know, I think one of the first ways we think about it is sort of like this, right? Explosive, the scripture calls it the outbursting anger. It is, it is Dallas traffic at 8 a.m. in the morning and it's not small, right? It's all caps on Facebook. Everything is mad. You've seen it before. Outrageous anger and explosive anger. It's at the sports games. It's at work. It's all the time. For some people, you see their lack of control and their lack of ability to control their temper or their anger. For some people, it kind of looks like this. And this time of year, it gets really dangerous because you used to swipe. And that got dangerous because you don't know how much money when you swipe it. But today, you just click a button and Amazon can have it to your doorstep before the end of services, I'm sure, if you do at this point. Yeah, it gets it to the end of the day. And so we buy and we buy and we buy and not really paying attention to how much we even have in the bank. And people find themselves under mountains of debt because they don't have any control. Or maybe we just kind of eat and we eat and we eat. Did he freeze? He froze. Okay, go back. Well, that's all right. He's eating. Because chips never come in a bag of one and donuts never come in a pack of just one. They always come in twelves. And so we just kind of eat and we eat and we eat. And for a lot of people, the evidence or fruit of their lack of control is, is just overeating. But here's where the story of, of Joseph gets real to our times is, is where our times are a lot now with our young people. How in an instant, in a moment, you can click on the screen, you can open up with your phone, and you can be at a really dangerous place in a hurry. I've had five young men down in Dallas come to me this year admitting their addiction to pornography uh, since the 1st of January, 2022. And I guarantee to you that number is very small compared to the number of men, young men and older men, and even of women, who are caught into this plague. 
without self-control, we're allowing Satan to run free with our hearts. And for a lot of people, it demonstrates itself in some really dangerous and damaging ways. You know what self-control really is, boiled down to and defined? Self-control, in essence, is simply this. It is the inward strength to say yes when you want to say no, and to say no when you want to say yes. That is self-control. That inward strength, that rock-firm determination that I'm going to say yes even when I want to say no, and I'm going to say no when I want to say yes. Will you unpack it with me? And let's end our lesson here. Saying no when I want to say yes and yes when I want to say no. Let's start there. Let's start with saying no when I want to say yes. That when I have those desires, even God-given desires, and I want to fulfill them in ways that God has not allowed, that God has actually spoken against, it's that difficulty, that tension, that wrestling of wanting to say yes, but knowing I must say no. Right? And so it's a passage like 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12 where Paul would say that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be, notice, mastered by anything. I will not be under the control, not of a video or a site or a substance or a person. The only thing that has control over my life is Lord Jesus and me submitting to him. I will not be mastered by anything. And so Psalm 39 gives an illustration of this with the mouth. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So as long as the wicked are in my presence, I will guard my mouth. I am in control of what comes out. And so I'm going to make sure what comes out of my mouth is only the things that ought to come out, the things that please the Lord. We looked a minute ago at 2 Timothy 2.22. I may really want to go to youthful lust. I may want to pursue it. But self-control says I'm going to say no when I really want to say yes. So even though I have the desire really want it and I have the opportunity and I have the ability it's a lot like that straitjacket pulling it on and saying even though it's within my power and I want it and the opportunity is present I'm holding it in I'm confining it and I'm saying no it's simply too strict to say I won't you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, so I won't. I won't. I, I probably shouldn't say this about this person who spread this. They didn't want me to tell you, so I won't. I won't. Probably shouldn't be watching these kind of movies and looking at these kind of videos, so I won't. I won't. Probably shouldn't be alone with this person. We're not married, so I won't. I won't. I, I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts about this person. So I won't. I won't. That's what self-control is. I have the desire. I really want it. I want it. And I have the opportunity. I could do it right now. And I have the ability. But instead, I am pulling it in. I will not do this, period. Lie with me. He refused. That's as simple as it gets. It's not a magic formula, a three-step plan. It's an inner strength that says, I shouldn't do this, so I won't, period. I won't. The other side of it looks like this, though, which is saying yes when you want to say no. Micah had a reading back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Will you go with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? I'm so thankful for that reading he gave us this morning, where Paul used the analogy of, of a race and those who exercise and run and aligning that with our race, our run, our journey from here to home. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, he says, 
Do you not know that those who run and a race all run, but only one receives a prize, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Did you get the analogy? Why... Why do people run without someone chasing them? Like, why are there some people at 6 a.m. this morning when it's cold and they're out running on the street? You know why they do that? It's self-control. They don't wake up saying, I cannot wait to do this, because honestly, their body says, no, <laughs> I want to sleep. I want to stay in bed where it's warm. But they tell themselves, yes, even though they really want to say no. Right? Why is it some people finish college? and get more than just a t-shirt and some memories. How did they get the degree? Well, they said yes when it was really hard because they wanted to say no. They wanted to just hang out with friends. They wanted to just go, to, go and have fun. But instead they said yes to study and yes to going to classes and yes to preparing for, for tests. They said yes when they really wanted to say no. How do you save and have money financially? Well, you say yes, yes to saving. Yes, to putting it aside when it said you want to say, but I really need these things. I don't really want these things. How do you say uh, yes to dieting? Well, I really want to say no, and I want to have that food. And you say yes when it is you really want to say no. And in some ways, this can be just as hard as saying no when you want to say yes. It's saying yes to those hard things like every day bending in prayer, every single day and opening up the word of God and spending time in communion with Jesus when you want to say no and say you're too busy. I'm going to say yes. It's saying yes to talking with a neighbor or a friend or someone about the gospel and giving an invitation when I really want to say no and say, I, I don't know them, it's awkward, I don't know what to say, but I'm, I'm going to say yes because it's, it's the right thing to do. It's saying yes to being honest and accountable to my choices. And so when I've failed, it's saying yes to apologizing and owning up to it and confessing what I've done when I really want to say no and just avoid it and sweep it under the rug. But I'm going to say yes when I really want to say no. It's saying yes to being a parent and not just a parent, but a present parent who provides an example of God and a teaching of God at home, which means as a family, we're going to be in the word of God and we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to study that word and we're going to praise God together as a family. I want to say no, and all we do is fun and games and watch TV. But I'm going to say yes and turn that TV off, and we're going to open our Bibles. I'm going to say yes when sometimes I just really want to say no. Can you see the difference? It's the inward strength that says there is a path God has called us to, good brethren. And there are some choices we cannot make, and so we won't. But there are some choices God has expected. He has laid before us, and we must make them. And so we will. We will. No matter what. There's a small creature in the fields of Europe called the ermine. And what makes the ermine so unique is its beautiful white coat. It's a precious creature. You know how to catch the ermine? Jason, next time you go hunting, you can go up there and catch it this way. It has a small little hole where it and its family lives. But by God's design, woven into the DNA of this creature, it's protective of its pure white coat. And so trappers will go and notice where its den is, and they will lay 
a layer of tar just before the hole of this creature. When the creature is out and about, it will release the, hoon, the, the, the hounds and the coons. And then they'll go and they'll chase this little creature all the way around until it gets back to its den. But as it notices that black tar, it will stop and turn and stay where it's put. Because to the ermine, it would risk its own life before tarnishing its white coat. To the ermine, purity is more important than life. How important is it to you, good brethren, that we be pure just as he is pure? How hard are we fighting that battle? How zealous are we in this struggle? John says, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What's John saying? If I want to be like Jesus in the hereafter, then I had better be striving to live like Jesus in the here and now. And that means I need to be pure as he is pure. I need to be a person who is developing and striving for a self that is under control, a heart submitted to King Jesus. And that is what today is about. Do you know why we're here? And Brian's going to lead a song for us to, for that very reason. Do you know why we're alive today? Whether you realize it or not, today we have taken one step closer to eternity. You and I are closer than we have ever been before to meeting Jesus face to face. And the reason we are alive today is because of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter, writing about the coming of the Lord, says that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason Jesus was not sent back last night, or even with us early this morning, is because there's someone who needs more time, and that God is, God is giving us one more day. I'm going to give him one more day, one more Lord's day. I'm going to give him one more opportunity. I'm going to give him one more chance to hear the word of God. One more chance to get their life right, to repent from that sin and to come back to me. I'm going to give them one more day. God has given us today. And so, this morning, if you are not right with your God, God has given you, so graciously given you and I today. He gave us this morning. Let's not waste this morning. If you are not in a right place with God and in a right relationship with God, this morning right here, this, this, this very moment, Let's just make that right. It could be that you need to start your journey with Christ, and that means you put him on a baptism, turning from your sin, confessing him as Lord. And today we can do that, today, right now. Don't wait another moment. Today needs to be that day. But it could also be, as we've gone through some things this morning, you have realized that you are not, not walking in a way that is right with your Lord, and today needs to be the day that we make that change. It could be you by yourself in the pew as we are leading this song, saying a prayer to your God and committing yourself to making it right before you leave this building, and that would be a wonderful thing. But if you would like some help and some people to talk with you and help you and pray for you, we'd love to help you. We really, really would. And so if there's anything at all we could do to help you leave here knowing you were right with your God, please let us help you. Let's, we're going to do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing.